Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today is Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday, amen? It's a Sunday that I'm very excited about, and it's one that was, that was birthed out of this series. And I want to encourage you that before we dive into Vision Sunday, I want to just make sure that we understand that as we look to the, to the Word of the Lord, we have been afforded the power and the life change that comes as we read the Word of the Lord. I love what it says here in 2 Timothy as it speaks about this life-giving process. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Listen to this part. It says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is why we center our gatherings around the Word of God. It shows us where, where we're wrong. How many did something wrong this last week? I did. Sorry, honey. You know, But the Bible, the Word of the Lord, it shows us where to walk, how we do the right things of the Lord, how we walk in the power of God. And, you know, and for me, as I get up here to share the Word of the Lord, uh, and I love my time with the Lord each week because as I share this today, this is a word that the Lord first, first speaks to me and preaches to me and shows to me, and there's a life change that takes place. And you know, as we look at this series of we, we, we're going all in, we need to recognize that when we look at this, the all in, Ezra and Nehemiah, that these books are all about a vision that God gave to both Ezra and Nehemiah. This is a vision that God gave to both of them, and the vision began with a burden. Many visions begin with a burden that we have. If you remember, Ezra had a burden to rebuild the temple and to restore worship to the Jewish nation. And then Nehemiah followed up. Nehemiah had a burden to rebuild the community, the city of God. And this burden that they had when it was matched with the opportunity that God gave as he turned the heart of King Cyrus, it, it, it manifested into a vision that became a reality that God had for his nation and for his people. See, this was God's vision birthed through them. Having the right vision is so important. God has given us a vision. And I love what it says in Proverbs 29, verse 18. It lays it out so well. And to make sure that we have a good understanding of this, I'd like for us to look together at Proverbs 29, 18. We're gonna, I'm going to read it from four different versions, all saying the same thing, but all saying it a little different way. Proverbs 29, 18. In the King James Version, uh, to my dad, that's the only version, he says, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. The New Living Translation says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. In the New International Version, it says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And then in Eugene Peterson's The Message, it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. See, all these versions saying the same thing, a little bit different. But it, it all underscores the importance of vision and how we need it, because if we don't have that vision, we will all stumble, we will all perish. So as we head into this, I just want to review very quickly as we answer that question, what is vision? What, what, what are we talking about when we talk about vision? 
when we talk about vision, we're talking about very plainly, it's, it's the ability to see. See, our vision, it's how we see the world. But when we talk about vision, we're talking about it's, it's something that speaks to the present, but it also points and instructs as we walk forward towards the future that God has for us. But we all know that seeing accurately is very difficult, isn't it? Have you ever talked to somebody about the same thing and it's like, we're talking about the same thing, but I feel like we're talking about two different things. Have you ever had that experience? Okay. And the reason why is because we all see through a lens. We all have a lens that we look through, and all of our lens have a bias to them. I have a bias to mine. It's a wonderful Canadian, northeastern Canada bias. You guys have a Louisiana? I mean, already I'm smelling the chicory coffee and the beignets, right, from Café du Monde. We all have a bias, you know? And our bias is on experience. Like, let me just give you just a, just a great godly example. So when I see a yellow lab dog, can you vision that in your mind right now? When I see a yellow lab dog, you know what I see? I see God's perfection at play. I see the most beautiful thing. I see a dog that I can run with. Even though you broke my elbow, I forgive you. You know, last summer, not going to do that again. My fault, not his. I see a wonderful dog. I see a loving dog. I see a dog that I can't wait to be with. I see nothing but a cute and adorable creation of God. But as hard to believe as it is, there are some people that don't see yellow labs that way. See, others may see this dog. I'm using no names because I didn't ask her before I used this illustration, so I'm not going to use her name. But see, others see this dog as nothing but big, smelly, wet, and sheds hair everywhere and tears apart the yard that she works so hard on. But we're building a fence this year. It's going to be good. Right? Has the dog changed? No. And the dog has no idea of any of this. The dog is the same, but we can see things very different. And for you, you may, may, may think that there's some other dog that's a better depiction of what it means. You're wrong, but you may have that bias in your lens. See, our lens is biased. Our lens is clouded with all these experiences. And I think, you know, Ann Voskamp says this so well. Ann Voskamp just happens to be Canadian. She says this, right? Wonderful author. She says, nobody reads in a vacuum. They bring their own trauma to your words, and they are going to hear your words through their own lens of pain. It's going to brush up against them in different ways. This is true, isn't it? Everything you say, everything you do, nothing happens in a vacuum. We all bring our trauma or we all bring our own experiences. We bring our past to every conversation that we have. It brushes up against it. That's why this passage about vision is so important. And as it talks about vision, we need to recognize that we all have these biases. We all have what, what Celebrate Recovery says, hurts, habits, and hangouts. We all have that stuff. It's why it's so important with the vision that we understand that vision begins with who? Vision begins with God. Vision begins with God. You know, the Hebrew word that is used here is the Hebrew word hazon. And it's, it means it's a communication from God to be communicated to others. It's not just seeing it. It's a vision from God, hearing God, seeing God. And it's meant to be communicated with others. And in this process, all within this word, it's recognizing that this is a covenant agreement that we have with God as we look to God, as we see God, as we hear this and communicate it. It is a covenant agreement. And this action of communicating it, it establishes a relationship. Do you see the importance of that? 
See, vision, it's about hearing God, obeying him, and proclaiming what he says. That's why when we speak God's truth, when we see God, we are changed. We are entering now into this covenant relationship with God, and there's power in that. So what is God speaking to us? What is God's vision? Well, God's vision from Genesis to the very end, it's about reconciliation with God. God's heart is that no one would perish. That's why in John 3.16, you see it at football games, and maybe I'm going to show up at a cracking game with a John 3.16 sign. I'll be Bannerman, whatever, you know. But John 3.16 says what? You all, many of you know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then this next part, verse 17, is so important. It says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. (laughs) I'm trying to reconcile humanity with God. See, this is God's heart. This is his purpose. This is his vision. And having a relationship with God is the whole reason why humanity was created. I mean, this is the heart of the gospel. God made us to live with him forever. Out of love, God created all of humanity. But we rejected him. The Bible calls that sin. Sin simply means that we miss the mark, the way God designed us, the way he made us to operate. But God's vision for us to be with him, it didn't die in that moment. But it's now lived out through Jesus Christ. It's John 3, 16, giving his life to pay for us, to cover our sin as we believe and receive. We now become readopted children of God. Amen. See, through Jesus now, we can be reconciled with God. This is God's heart. This is his vision for everyone. Everyone, every man, woman, and child, every tribe, every tongue, every kind of dog lover out there, this is God's vision for you. So how is God's vision carried out? How is this meant to be out? Because there's this wonderful vision, and how, when Jesus came and he taught us, he taught us that this vision is carried out through discipleship. Discipleship. Have you heard discipleship here before? Hopefully you have. God's vision for reconciliation is accomplished in the world through discipleship. Discipleship is what God calls us to do. And see, Jesus, he gave the disciples a vision of how things could be. One of the powerful things about when Jesus lived here on earth, he showed us how it's meant to be carried out. He showed us what it meant to know and to walk with God. He showed the the disciples how God could use them to change the world. He showed them how God's plan was, it was not just for the Jews, but it was for everyone, even their enemies. Pray for your enemies. Everybody. See, Jesus showed how God's plan was to use them in healing and bringing about change in the world. This is how it is meant to be lived out. Jesus even said that now you'll do even greater things. Jesus was very clear in breaking this down for them. He's very clear in breaking it down for us, and he made it so clear by commissioning the disciples that we have this section of Scripture that we call the Great Commission. Look at this, the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, he said, look, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. So then he looks at his disciples and he says, therefore, because of all this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you. Every disciple, every disciple, raise your hand here this morning. Anyone disciple of Jesus? This is your commission to go and to make disciples, but it's all empowered by love. This is the great commandment. I'm not talking about a cheap sacrificial love, right? I'm talking about a, I'm, I'm talking about a deep sacrificial love. 
It's empowered by the great commandment. Jesus said this in Mark 12. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he said the second is equally important. You love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. See, it's the great commission empowered by the love of God. Everything that God does is motivated by his love for us. See, love is who God is. It's a deep love. It's a sacrificial love. So today I want to dive deep into the how of discipleship. But before we do, I think it's important again to have a clear understanding of what Jesus means when he calls us to discipleship. Because there's a lot of confusion in the world today over what this means. There's so much confusion that a lot of times, you'll, have you ever heard someone say, you know, I love Jesus, but man, I, I, I hate the church. I, I don't like Christians. There's something weird about it. I'm sure they didn't say that about any of you guys. But I think a lot of times we misunderstand what this means. Because when we're followers of Christ, when we believe in Jesus, there's no way that we can follow Jesus and ignore the body of Christ in the church. Right? I love how one author said it, that like saying things like, things like that, it's like it ignores relationship value, right? It's saying that, you know, yeah, I, I love my wife, but uh, I never go home with, with her. I never want to be around her. I never want to be with her. That relationship will not go well. See, to love Jesus is to love the church and to embrace it in everything that's there, walking it out. That's why as we talk about discipleship, discipleship is an intentional word. And it's a word, it's deeper than follower. I th- you know, and I recognize there are some versions of the Bible that they use the word follower here. But I, th- I think follow, it means something different to us because for a lot of us, follower is, some, is a way that we describe those that we follow on social media. Anybody like, ever go to YouTube University, right? You got a question, you go to YouTube. I do that all the time. There are people that I follow on YouTube. There are people that I follow on Instagram or different places. I follow things like Flav City because I want to, none of these people endorse me, by the way, but uh, I I follow Flav City because I want to know how to eat healthy. I want to know how to cook well. I love cooking. Um, There's a kayak fishing person that I follow because I want to learn how to do better at kayak fishing. Uh, I bought an old 1940s house that needs a lot of work, and I'm the cheapest contractor out there. I'm free to myself, so I don't charge myself. I don't charge Stephanie. So there's people that I charge that I go and I follow on YouTube, rather, and I follow them to learn how to do things. There's athletes that we follow. There's artists that I follow. There's people that, that I listen to. See, we follow all kinds of things. There's influencers out there that are trying to get you to follow them and take their advice. But followers come to mean that we follow just a piece of the person I want to copy. Right? I only want to follow a piece of them. I just want to learn how to do better kayak fishing. I know nothing else about you. And a lot of times we don't even care to know anything else about them. We follow them for a piece. And the problem is, is that we've taken that word follower to mean Jesus, to where, Jesus, I like this part of you. I like how you provide for me. I like how you heal me. I like how you fill me with all these wonderful good feels. I love that. But all that other sacrifice stuff, that's just a little too hard. And unfortunately, discipleship has replaced follow, meaning I'm going to follow the good stuff, I'm going to ignore the rest, and we think that we're a disciple. See, discipleship is not just about taking the part that I think I need, just the parts that are helpful. Jesus was very clear that when we talk about discipleship, that life change, discipleship is taking on all of Jesus. It's taking on all of it. Our service began by saying that. And in Luke 4, Jesus said this, and he said this repeatedly. In Luke 14, he described this way. He said, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own self, can't be my disciple. 
anyone who won't shoulder their own cross and follow behind me is not my disciple. Because discipleship is a complete transformation, and that's only made possible as we surrender all of our life to Jesus Christ. See, Paul said this in Ephesians 4. He said, throw off your old sinful nature and your old former way of life. And then he said, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on a new nature, create it to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, any discipleship that is less than this, it will not work. And here's why. See, our foundation, Jesus often used this illustration of a foundation. Our foundation is meant to be Christ and Christ alone, nothing else. When we mix other things in with our foundation, anything else, even good things, our foundation will fail. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I have this wonderful old 1940s house, and I love it. I've learned a lot through it. And often as I go through and fix things, God talks to me about discipleship, and he brings out things in my life that need to change. But as it relates to this today, I was thinking about my, my basement, okay, 1940s house. And when, when we bought the house and we walked through, we recognized early in the process that there was a problem in the foundation floor. How many of your heart has sunk when you've seen things like that, Right? I looked at the foundation floor in one of the basement rooms, and the floor that should be like this was like this. Many are cringing right now thinking about that. Layers of wood, the cabinets were warped, everything was warped. I knew, even though I didn't know everything I needed to know at the time, something is off. I mean, you you couldn't even roll a ball across the floor. It was terrible. So what, what did we do? Well, we dug deep into the problem, and here's what we found. The original builders back in the 1940s, when they did this concrete, which was always very, was always very expensive, but especially in the 1940s, wood was everywhere. So what they thought, they thought they would skimp corners, they thought they would save some money, they thought they would make it easier by putting some concrete, but also just putting some big beams of wood every so often. Now that went well for a while, but it also rains here in the Pacific Northwest. And rain often comes up from the bottom. So what happened? The wood rotted. The wood rotted and began to break things around it, and water began to come up. Problems began to come up. That was in the 1940s, and now we are in 2000, at the time, 2014, a lot of years later. It was rotten. So what was the solution for it? The solution wasn't just to put some two-by-fours over the top or put some plywood over the top because that will soon fail. The only solution for it was to rip the entire thing out. So then I went to my, my, uh, my subcontractors, which are my boys, and said, boys, <laughs> what are you doing for the next two days? Here's what we're doing. We had to rip that entire thing out. And so with me and my boys and with a good friend who, was the, uh, who had the know-how to do that, we brought the muscle, he brought the brains. We began to rip the whole thing out, everything out. Nothing was left in. And then once it was out, what did we have to do? We had to lug in by hand from a mixer all the concrete. Have you ever done that before? If you want to do it, talk to me later. I'll give you opportunities. We had to pull it all in because, see, everything had to be gone. If I had just gone back and said, you know what, maybe if I just put in some new wood with that concrete again, I would just be kicking that brokenness down to the right, wouldn't I? It will never last. It was things like this that happened. It's the reason why we have inspectors, why we have standards of codes, because sometimes this can even be more catastrophic, where the whole building will fail. 
That's why God's word is very clear as it relates to to discipleship. Discipleship is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We don't mix. It is not compatible with anything else. He has called us to put off the old, to take on the new. It is a complete surrender. Anything that gets mixed in, even good things with it, it will eventually rot and the problems will be catastrophic, not just for you, but for those around you. Those around that we pretend to be. Something that we're not. That's why Galatians 2, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about someone who is like Jesus. Christian means you're Christ-like. That's not something I can do. I have enough of Dwayne-likeness in me. I need Christ-likeness. I need to be like Christ. I need to do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, to be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. It's his process, and it's an ongoing process. Sometimes we fall into that perception that once we give our life to Christ, then we are perfect, right? No more mistakes, no more problems, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more nothing. That's not true. In that moment, we're covered. It says that we have been saved, our hearts are now with him, that now we are with Jesus forever and forever and forever, but there's a process. How many know the process I'm talking about, right? The biblical word for it is sanctification. That's why a regular part of a believer's life is confession, is that continual alignment. Now it's piece by piece, day by day, trial by trial that we get stronger in Jesus, but Paul said it's a race. It is a race, and you don't rush races, You rush races, you will not finish. It's ongoing, day by day, test by test, victory by victory. And since we are in a race, how do you know if you're winning? You know if you're winning because disciples make other disciples. That when we follow Jesus, we naturally want to share it with those around us. That's why Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And this is one of the key fruits of a disciple is that they make disciples because there's no way you can keep it to yourself. Jesus said, every good tree bears good fruit. If you're following Jesus, you're going to naturally want to bring it apart. You know, when a person becomes a disciple of Jesus, their life is completely changed. There is a difference. If my life is no different from before Jesus to after Jesus, I've not received Jesus because Jesus changed me. I still have a beard. Well, not when I was younger and gave my life to Christ. But I'm very different. If discipleship doesn't cost you, then I... I'm not a disciple. There's a cost to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a cost to it. We had a wonderful couple get married yesterday. And it's wonderful and it's celebration, right? Great music. We're all having a good time. But there's a cost to it. There's a commitment to it. But out of this comes that discipleship fruit of sharing. Disciples, they share their faith. We talk about the things that we love. You know what I love. You know I love coffee, you know I love hockey, you know I love kayak fishing, you know I love my wife, I talk about my wife. Isn't she lovely? Yes. She is. She's the one that bought me that wet, smelly dog, by the way. I never asked for it. That's how much love is in her heart. See, discipleship, it multiplies, it grows, it tastes risks. It denies yourself for the gospel. That's why as disciples, Jesus said, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. It may not be a persecution like the missionaries that we talk about in some remote parts of the world, but what it often looks like here because it's so countercultural is that we will be despised. There will be friends that will leave us. There will be people that will disagree with us. At times, there will be job promotions that it may seem like we're being overlooked for. 
So many of the great men and women of God have experienced this. Daniel experienced this. Joseph experienced this. In the end, it worked to the good. But are we willing to trust God in that process? To say, God, whatever the cost, the cross before me, the world behind me, no looking back, God, I follow you. This is true discipleship. And for some of you, as you look at this, you say, you know what? As I think about this, I recognize there's a cost to it. I recognize there's something to cost me. But boy, there's nothing more exciting than when I think about eternity, when I think about those around me, when I think about my friends coming to know Jesus, there's nothing more exciting. And as, I've, as, as we've been here for the last eight weeks talking about all in, I'm ready to go all in. I want to be there. Do you know how we do this? As a church and as leadership, we've come together and say, God, you know what? How can we encourage people to walk in this? How can we encourage people to live out this discipleship? Because we don't want to just be casual Christians. We don't want to just be imitations of the real things. We know we're not perfect. We want to be this community that comes together. We start off every, every service with this. We talk about three things. What are they? Gather, grow, and go. Anybody here on time for service? Right? What do we talk about? Gather, grow, and go. One more time. Gather, grow, and go. This is our discipleship model. That As we've looked at scripture, as we've, we've honed it in, how can we make this very, very simple living out for Christ? It's gather, grow, and go. Every week you're doing it right now. Right now you're gathering as we come together. Gathering is a body of Christ. Hebrews 10 talks about this. Never neglect to meet together. We need to be together. I need you. I'm so encouraging. When people show up, my heart lifts when I see people. When I see families coming together, when I see singles walk in, when I see our community coming through the door, my heart lifts, and I am so encouraged just by gathering as we gather around the Word of God. We do it in person, we do it online, we're doing it tonight for our encounter prayer service. But out of that, as we gather, we're also, our community, there about growing. See, it's not just about showing up and singing songs and receiving from the Word of God. That is so important. But we need to grow, and one of the kids during the week we have groups that meet in homes, groups in coffee houses. We even have micro groups. Where if you're not in a group and you got a friend, say, hey, can we get together once a week, once a month, and just gather around and talk about the conversations? Can we talk about these two key questions every, every disciple should be talking about every week, every day? If you don't know what to have a group about, have it about this. And this is from Dr. Dan McNaughton. Get with somebody and, and ask the question, what is God saying to you? What, what is God speaking to you right now in this moment? How are you experiencing the goodness of God? And if the question is to, to that is, you know what? I don't know how to hear God. Do you know how many times I've had people say, I don't know how to hear God? Guess what we talked and prayed about? Well, then let's talk about how we hear God. Let's talk about how we open Scripture and we, we receive God's Word. Let's talk about how we need to silence the noise of the world around us so that we can hear the Lord. Let's pray together. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit that reveals the voice of God to us. We start walking out all these ways. And then the second question, now that we hear from the Lord, what, what are you going to do about it? These are wonderful, life-changing questions. Just wrestling with those two questions will radically change your life. This is powerful. So we gather together. We grow together, but then we go. See, this is the application of our faith. James says faith that works is what? dead. There needs to be some life to us so that we gather together, we're encouraged, we see each other, and we say, hey, let's get together this week. Let's have coffee. Let's talk about what God is speaking, and I, and I need some help, encouragement. God's speaking some things to me that are kind of scaring me. Would you get together with me and pray for me and help me process this? And then we go. We go. See, it's by our love for one another, the world knows that we are Jesus' disciples, because love is active, and it's shown when it's lived out, right? 
I hug my kids all the time. When they leave, I go, I love you. I love you. I never want them to forget that I love them. I can't wait. I'm a big hugger. I know for some guys, they're like, that's not manly. I don't care. I hug my lab. And I get all full of hair. Steph's like, go clean off and I'll hug you. Okay. So she hugs me anyway. She loves Stanley more than she's letting on. See, discipleship is lived out. It's as we go. Everything that we're doing is listening along the way. Going is not all about going to a foreign mission field, though that may be something God's calling you to go. Go is when, when I walk through these doors and I go to the coffee house and I'm talking to somebody. Go is I'm sitting in a cafe, and this happened to Stephanie just this past week. The Holy Spirit began to speak to her and say, I want you to go over and talk to that person over there. And that may seem like, yeah, but you get in that moment and... That may freak you out because you're like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to. You come up with all these things we all do. And then you step in obedience. You work through the fear. You pray for the fear. You step out and you experience what God is doing in the moment. How many things do we miss because we don't have conversations with Fred Meyer? Because we don't have conversations just online or wherever we go just saying, God loves you today. Because we go, oh, that's cheesy, that's stupid. Do you know how many people I've led to Christ on the bus by just saying, man, I think God wants me to say to you, God loves you. It seems stupid, it seems cheesy. We've, I've heard so many people say, don't do that. I've seen some of the most people that we would categorize as hardened people far from God. I had a drug dealer weep next to me one time because I said the cheesiest thing that God was at work in his life before I talked to one person one time. I'm not saying this to be dramatic. I'm saying this to open the door for you. That one time I was talking to somebody, I've shared this before, that when God prompts you to do that, he has a plan. And sometimes you may be the first person to say it, but I would talk to this, this one person, and, and I said that to him. He said, who are you? I was like, oh, man, God, what's, what are you doing? I'm, he's getting mad. I said, I'm, you know, I'm a barista at a coffee house. He said, what else do you do? I said, I'm also a pastor. I said, I'm, I'm a pastor, you know. He said, you're the, God's, he said, pastors have been coming to me every day that I get on this bus. <laughs> it's true. A pastor, and this is not to say only pastors can do it, okay? Y'all are pastors. I'll, whatever label you need. And he began to break down. He said, what's happening? And I looked at him. And I said, God loves you so much that he's sending everybody to tell you he loves you and you don't need to do what you're doing. I didn't know what he was doing. He gave his life to Christ. In that moment, he turned to me and said, I'm getting ready to go do a drug deal right now. Would you pray for me? And I prayed for him. I haven't seen him since. That's his story with the Lord. I pray for him a lot. But I share that to say, when the Holy Spirit nudges you, you may be that first person that the person is just angry with you. Or you may be the person in the middle, or you may be that person at the end that they give their life to Christ. Most of mine have been people irritated with me in the beginning. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me, Dwayne, there's a greater plan. Just do what I tell you. <laughs> Just do what I tell you. If I tell you to go, just, just go do it and say, I walked in obedience. Just do that. Can we do that? Because here's the thing. Mo all those people that got very offended by me, I haven't, most of them I haven't seen anymore. <laughs> so 
So I'm scared about something that there's, there's really no recourse for. Are we willing to walk in that way? Say, so Holy Spirit, I'm willing to be a fool for you. There are people dying for you. I can be a fool. <laughs> My sisters call me a fool anyway. Why not do it for the Lord? It's paying attention. That's why Colossians said, we tell others, warning everyone that we see, we want to make everyone that we see be ready to one day stand before Jesus. Share your faith. Share your faith. That's why we pray for missions, because we're like, God, you've called me to be a missionary here, but God, you're calling me to be. We want to support missionaries that are halfway around the world, the Mephers, where they're in persecuted nations. We want to pray for our missionaries in Europe. We want to pray for our missionaries downtown at Union Gospel Mission, at Bread of Life Mission, with community dinners all over the place. But all of this comes out of discipleship. Because here's what happens. When I experience that, at that go part, I can't wait to get back and go gather and say, God, <laughs> help me. And I talked to somebody, and at, at the time, Pastor Bob, the pastor, Pastor Bob, this is what happened this past week. Was that weird? Or was that God? Was that good? And of course, Pastor Bob's like, you know, he's not an emotional guy, but I saw him choking up. If you're listening, Pastor Bob, I saw it. You were choking up in that moment. And that encouraged me. And that inspired me. I gathered with people. And then I, I was in my, in my Bible study. I was in my life group. And I'm talking about, here's what God's doing. And I'm like, man, I'll be a fool for God, but I want to make sure this is for God. And I had men around me saying, that's God. Go, go. And then I went out and I go. And I get on the bus again. And I say, God, now I'm looking. God, who can I share with today? Who can I talk to about the Lord today? And not only that, how can I do it? How can I do it? Sometimes I talk to one guy and I said, nice pair of shoes. Half hour later, we're talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And invite people to join you in this discipleship process. When you're gather, grow, and go, and you're doing that whole cycle going through, invite somebody. For somebody, they may want to come and join you here on Sunday morning. Invite someone to church. How about that? My goodness. Invite someone to church. Or you know what? For somebody, that may be a bridge too far. You know what? Would you want to come to my home for dinner or for coffee or something? I have this group. We come together. We talk with the Bible. Have someone join you there. Or, or you may be with somebody that, boy, their heart, they have a heart for the community. They have a heart for serving. You know what? We do this food program for, for kids where we pack boxes. Do you want to be a part of that? We, uh, we serve over at Ridgecrest, and, we're, and we're, we're just doing landscaping. You're really good at landscaping. You want to come in and help us. Or we're doing this other thing. They can jump in anywhere and everywhere. Invite somebody. Read it. Holy Spirit, where should I invite somebody? How can I walk this out? We're going to be unpacking this more and more and more, but as we wrap this up today, I want to go back to Nehemiah just for a minute. I want to talk about the gateways we talked about. The gateways. See, for the last eight weeks, we've been talking about Nehemiah, about how Ezra set the foundation with the temple and worship, and now Nehemiah built the walls. But there's a verse that pops out in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, After the wall had been rebuilt, I set the doors in place. I set the gates in place. See, the walls were not complete until the gates were established. See, gates are vital in any city. Because, again, gates are not about keeping people out. Gates are about providing safe access for people at different points around the community. Gates are two-way. These are places where people go in and out all through the day. And they each have a function, and they each have something that connects with somebody. See, in the Bible, gates were used as a metaphor for Jesus. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And they will go in and they will come out and they'll find pasture. This is the power of the gateways. Do you know that Seattle? Seattle is known as the gateway to the Pacific Northwest. Do you know that you are sitting in a gateway 
to one of the most beautiful places in the world. My goodness. Are you seeing the beauty around us? Seattle is a gateway, and as a team, we began to look and say, you know, what are some of the gateways in Seattle as it looks like right here in 2022? What are some of the gateways that we see? And I'm going to share these, but I want to invite you back here tonight. We're going to be praying through these and saying, God, how would you have us faithfully engage? Well, no, no surprise here. Um, the first gateway I threw out was coffee house. <laughs> Seattle's known for coffee. Do you know that? Do you know that? Yes. Thank you, Val. See, Seattle took this model globally. Stories well known. We are known for great coffee. Seattle is also known for the arts. Seattle is known as an arts center. The arts, it, it, and it cultivates a gathering culture. Yes, you can look at things online and you can buy a picture and do all these kind of things, but the arts are best experienced what together. What do you see? What are you hearing? Oh, that bass player. Oh, my goodness. Victor Wooten. Oh, amazing. Seattle is also known for its health, hospitals, heart centers, healthy living. Seattle is known as one of the healthiest cities in, here in America. Biking, running, the outdoors. We have bike systems for travel. You can go down the Burke Gilman to the UW. You, 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 you can do, go the inner urban trail. It's a little tougher. It's got more hills. But you're in the healthiest city. You can do it. Seattle is known for advocacy. And what a great place for the church to be, the body of Christ. Shoreline Community Church to step in, advocating for those at the margin, at-risk youth in our community, sex trafficking that goes on all up and down Aurora and through all the ports. Seattle cares about these things. Another gateway for Seattle is connection with the link light that's going to be here in just a couple of years. I'm excited about that. Connection through technology. We have some of the greatest technological giants in the world here in Seattle. Communication. The food here is amazing. Gaming. Education. Another gateway is diversity. Seattle embraces diversity and celebrates diversity. And Shoreline, our city, is growing in diversity. And I couldn't be more excited. We are stronger together as we recognize what God is doing. Nature and conservation, the Puget Sound, the Olympics, the Cascades, the Mount Rainier. I want to hike them all and backpack them all. And kayak, the Puget Sound, not the Olympics. Nature and conversation, innovation, Amazon, Microsoft, Boeing, entrepreneurship, all forward-looking. Another gateway is the appreciation to be highly localized. We love local things, don't we, right? We, we, love, we love local food, feed, just where's that feel the table. There's nothing better than pulling in a salmon on your kayak and then bringing it home and sharing it with your family. I've never caught a salmon from my kayak yet, but this could be the year. We love our local sports. My favorite's the Kraken. We love walking neighborhoods. Another gateway is education. We're in one of the most educated cities, and even here in Shoreline and surrounding areas, there's so many colleges and universities. So as the worship team comes this morning, we're going to continue this with prayer tonight, but what are some of the gateways that we are engaging with or praying about? As a team, we've been praying, God, how can we engage with these gateways? Well, I go back to the first one, coffee house. Coffee house. This is a picture. 
that is a rendering. We've been working hard behind the scenes. And Eric Driftall and your team, thank you so much. And all the Coffeehouse teams, we've come together. This, this is a rendition of the, re, of the remodeling that, I, that will be beginning this year. We're right now going through the permitting process for our new Coffeehouse. And it's not just about the coffee. Seattle and the world meets in these third place locations where it's, it's not home, it's not work, and they gather together. I've experienced this so many times. Our prayer for the coffee house is that this would be a place where we would engage with our community. This would be a place that as we grow and as we de develop it, that we would engage and provide lift opportunities, meaning looking at at-risk youth. that are, So many of them, they're, they're struggling with work and they've been pushed to the margins. They have nobody. What a place to bring them in and to train them, to give them a skill as a barista, to show them how to show up, to show them how to function in this way and bring lift to them. I'm praying that as we do this, that the proceeds from this, we can reinvest in missions both locally and around the world where we're engaging with it, and that we're learning how to engage in stronger and better ways with our community. Another gateway that we're engaged in but we continue to pray about is young adults. This community is flooded with young adults, and I'm so thankful for all of our young adults. The generation that's rising up and saying, God, make my life count for you. But as I gathered with some of our young adult leaders, they began to say, you know, I'm, I'm praying for that 18 to 25, what they call the younger young adults. God, I'm praying. Katie talked about that. I'm praying for that college age. Do you know that's where most people drop off in their faith? Where they may be here through high school and then they hit college and they're hit. And they lose their faith with God. Where should we be? Right there and saying, don't give up. Let me love you. Let us show you the love of Christ. Let us walk in that way. We're praying, God, how can we be better engaged? How can we be engaged on Edmonds Community College, at Shoreline Community College, at North Seattle Community College, at the University of Washington? We're having those conversations now, saying, Lord, speak to us. We're praying for international communities. Our neighborhood is growing more international. Yes! I'm not the only Canadian here anymore. We're praying, God, how can I be more active and engaged? You know, one of the things that we do as a church is a parent-affiliated church. One of our parent-affiliated churches will be joining us next week, Pastor Harry, the Living Church. But I'm praying for that next one. Parent-affiliated church means that you see a church planner and you say, can we cover you, Strolling Community Church, and help you in reaching we're surrounded with so many unreached people groups right here in Shoreline. The world is at our door. I'm saying, God, where's that next leader, that next pastor that we can train, that we can invest in and cover and say, go and share the light of Jesus. As it relates to the link light, Shoreline Community Church, this road out here now is referred to by our city as the central spine connecting Aurora and the link light. The link light is now just one block from our door and it's bringing even now so many opportunities. I'm saying, God, how can we be faithful? People are coming to our doorstep. People are walking by. I'm saying, Lord, how can I reach them with the love of Jesus? It's as we gather together, encouraging right now and we present the need and say, God, speak. And then we get in our groups and we talk about you know, God's speaking to me about these things. I want to flesh it out with all of you here. God's speaking, and I'm praying it out, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do, and you have people encouraging you. And then we go as we're walking. We're saying, God, show me today as I'm walking through, as I'm walking past the soccer fields, as I'm going to the coffee houses, as I'm going to the stores, wherever I'm going, saying, God, show me that next step. Do you know God's doing that? I have a loop. I go with my dog, and I talk to people on that path. 
I go to, wherever I go, I'm, I talk to everybody. I talk to, I talk to, to strangers who, I show them I'm stranger than they are. And Jesus shows up. This, this is the opportunity that God is giving to us. Jesus broke down the vision clear. So as it relates to us, Shoreline Community Church, what is the vision? As a team, we've, we've been praying through and working through this. And we worked through, we, we wanted to come up with just a clear statement. And it happens to be 12 words, just like the disciples. This is the vision. Would you read this with me? Becoming and making disciples of Jesus as we gather, grow, and go. Let's read that again. Becoming and making disciples of Jesus as we gather, grow, and go. See, becoming and making, those are very intentional words because what that means is that we're all becoming. No one's perfect. My name is Dwayne. I'm not perfect. But I'm becoming. And I'll tell you this. I'm a lot better and stronger in the Lord today than I was back when I was five years old and ran to the altar confessing for stealing cookies, okay? God has brought me a long way. Am I there yet? I'm a child, I'm a child of God. But as we are becoming, we're also making, because some people think, well, you know, God, how can you use me? I'm not, I don't have this gift. I don't have that gift. I still have stuff in my life. Everyone does. Jesus looked at all of his disciples and said, I'm going to build on you. He looked at Peter, who kept trying to do it by force, and he said, you're the rock that I'm going to build on, Peter. Come on, get back in. Forget about fishing. Come and be fisher of men and women. It's in the middle of our stuff that we're becoming, in the middle of our stuff as we confess and bring it to the Lord, that we're making disciples. That's what we're about. And we do that as we gather. We come together and we're encouraged. I'm so encouraged today. I can't wait to to get in my groups. There's a couple groups I'm a part of. And as I get together talking about that, I can't wait to, to go out into the community and just talk to people with my head up, even when I'm tired. It's amazing. Sometimes I walk in my, and I'm, I'm so tired, and it's almost like Jesus just shakes me. And I found sometimes when I'm tired and exhausted, like the Holy Spirit will lead people to me. The Holy Spirit, he's already at work. He's leading. He's guiding. Before any of us were disciples, Jesus died for us, and he reached out in love. He, he came to us. This is our, our, our response. We're going to take some time here just to, re, just to reflect on this and, and, and to respond. But please join me for prayer tonight. It is only through prayer. When the disciples came back and said, Jesus, why didn't it happen? He said, this is only through prayer and fasting. <laughs> we need to pray together. This is not a one-person show. This is not a 12-person show. Discipleship expanded beyond the 12 to everybody. We're all called to this. We need to pray, not, not just based on feelings, but to obey is better than sacrifice, saying, Lord, speak, I'm listening. Let's pray over these gates. Let's pray, God, is, is there a gate that we don't see? Is there something that you're calling me to do? Because we're throwing out all these things, but there may be something totally different that God's speaking to you about. And I can't wait to hear about it. Let's pray tonight. But as we engage and we take some time to come forward and to pray with people, to turn with those around you, here's some questions, and all of these are in the, in the church center app that you can take with you for your week. But this is a heart moment when we ask ourselves, God, Am I engaged in discipleship? But ask yourself that. 
Again, this is not a word of condemnation. This is a word of life. This is an invitation of the Lord. Am I engaged in discipleship or am I just following the things that I like about Jesus? Like your provision, like your health. But am I really engaged in all? And you know that by asking yourself, where's the fruit and where's the cost? Where is it showing up? None of us are perfect. Where is it costing me? Who am I discipling? Who is God calling me to disciple? Who around me needs to encounter Jesus? So many people. Say, God, can you reveal one person that I can start pouring into, that I can start reaching out to? And ask yourself, as it relates to this gather, grow, or go, where are you engaged in the process? Like, where is it like, yeah, I can naturally engage in those things. But where am I struggling in the process? Because as a body of Christ, we need all three. There's a world confused out there. We need to be committed to gathering. And when people show up, we're reaching out to them and we're including this. And we need to be committed to growing together. Whether it's a large group or a small micro group with somebody saying, what's God saying? What are you, how are you responding to the word of the Lord? And then ask the Lord, what do you need to do about it? Amen. Can we all stand together? It's together we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I know I've gone long today, but I believe this is so pivotal in our future. Lord, speak. Your, we are all your servants listening. Lord, open our ears to hear you. Holy Spirit, speak to us in this moment. Word of God, speak. Show us, show us where we're off. Show us where we're drifting. And then show us how to get back aligned with you.